and welcome to Epic Fails, Finding Redemption in Our Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this show, you'll hear people from all walks of life sharing powerful stories of transformation. My hope is that as you hear the stories of redemption, you'll find redemption in your own. Today, I have with me on the show Molly Talbot, an incredible woman I've recently connected with who has a powerful story. When I met Molly over kombucha, I think that's how you say it, right? It was my first experience, by the way. I was instantly drawn in by her kind spirit and her warm smile. Her story of overcoming sexual abuse, lack of self-worth, and alcoholism is truly inspirational, and I guarantee you'll be encouraged to hear how God moved in her life. Molly is married to Kyle, and together they have a son named Bankston. She also has a stepson named Brady. I'm excited for you to get to know her, so here we go. Molly, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, We're going to jump into your story, and it's a story I'm really excited about people hearing because it's really powerful. I think there's going to be someone out there who's really encouraged by it, and I know your story, uh, but they don't, so we're going to jump on in. Molly, you had a bit of a rough upbringing. How about you share with the audience a bit about your childhood and your teenage years? Absolutely. I um, I guess when I retell it, I do kind of try to throw in my years 5 to 15, just because there were a lot of things I went through. But uh, in that time, there were some instances of sexual abuse, um, which were confusing, uh, but I really didn't have anything to attach it to as far as explaining what was happening. And then in those years, I was exposed to pornography. Um, and again, it seemed like every time the topic of sex was brought up, um, you would see that it made people uncomfortable and it made me uncomfortable. Um, So I guess in my young brain, I set out to kind of control it and learn everything I could about it, Mm. which is dangerous for a child to do without guidance. Um, But in a way, I ended up seeing and learning that sexuality was what I thought was a way um, to control men or something you gave in exchange for attention. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of just developed the inability to be alone, which meant that I went from relationship to relationship, and that's where I found my worth. Um, and unfortunately, if sexuality is how you stayed in relationship, it was a natural progression and kind of a cycle. Mm-hmm. So then um, in about eighth grade, um, I did start experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and it was almost as if to fill a void that mm-hmm. continued to deepen as a result of I'm not satisfied. Um, I'm trying to maintain relationship and be, um, find my worth in that. And it's not satisfying me. Um, so let's try drugs. And so drugs and alcohol, I dabbled in young, but somehow I was able to keep it together on the surface. Um, I was a cheerleader through high school and junior high and I danced and sang competitively and, um, had some great friendships, so it was just kind of interesting that I would go through periods of keeping it together and then just all out rebelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you you carried a lot of shame with you over the years. I know you've talked about that with me. What was some what was some of that shame um, and some of the root of where that came from? So I know this um, this is probably a little deep because it was stuff that I found out later in life through counseling, but the guilt and the shame stemmed completely 
from the discomfort that I had, I, that I felt in um, what I had to trade or what I thought for the feeling of being loved, mm. which was, you know, sexual acts that I was nowhere near ready for. Um, and then stepping back and recognizing that the guys that I w- would find myself in relationships with were terrible, were, you know, mm. emotionally and physically abusive. Um, and it's almost like the whole time deep down I knew that I was worth more, but I didn't feel like I deserved it. Mm. And then as if to cope with the guilt and the shame, drugs and drinking seemed to kind of come in even then and mm. help me numb. And it was just a self-perpetuating cycle. It was yeah. pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, when you transitioned into adulthood, you ended up in another unhealthy relationship. Talk about that one specifically. Well, he was, the relationship that I ended up in was a result of just a really, a a rebound Mm -hmm. (laughs) from what was pretty, a decently healthy relationship that I'd gotten out of um, because it was heading in a direction that was so serious Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't ready for it. We were heading toward, you know, talks of marriage and I was still so young, so I kind of broke up with him under the, the guise of finding myself. And then when I realized that my family just couldn't stop talking about this guy <laughs> and compared the guys I would date to him, it seemed like I just, I jumped to the op- like the absolute opposite side mm-hmm. of the spectrum and found probably, you know, definitely the worst relationship that I could have gotten into. It was toxic. Um, and some of the background there is that I did medical social work, so my theory in my head has always been that I've wanted to fix other people, Mm -hmm. Um, and in a way, I think that kept me from facing my own need to be fixed, and so this toxic relationship was no exception. Um, Guy came from a really rough upbringing, and although I really didn't know what alcoholism looked like at the time, that's definitely what he was. and I don't, I don't mess around. I commit to things, so I was with him for three years uh, yeah. <laughs> in a pretty toxic relationship, and he was living with me, and even though I was regularly getting panic attacks and, you know, getting, you know, physically sick because I was just thinking, what am I doing? Um, and I was just so steeped in self-hate and shame at that point that the only thing that shut off the shame was drinking. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty quickly, I began to drink every day. Um, yeah, it was, it was just super hard, and I started to put distance between this guy and I. I finally did kick him out, but it, as toxic relationships go, it never fully ended until this really good-looking guy from Colorado came into town one weekend <laughs> um, named Kyle to visit some friends, and one of which was um, the girl I was living with at the time. Um, we immediately hit it off. Um, I can't explain it. He was so certain about us right from the start that it was funny to me. Um, I guess I'd just never come across that. He actually left a note in my apartment after we first met saying that I had awoken a joy in him that he had never known. And that he knew it wasn't going to end there, And which is sweet because the note's still hanging uh, hanging in our bathroom. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You talked about when you were talking about the unhealthy relationship where... Mm -hmm. He was such, I don't know how you worded it, but he was such a mess that it almost took the focus off of yourself. You didn't have to see your own kind of mess. Mm-hmm. Is that what drew you to him? And did it, did, it, were, did it stop you from focusing on yourself? 
that makes sense. 100%. Yeah. And I think that's, again, one of those things that kind of came out in the wash of counseling. Mm -hmm. But it was, I recognized that habitually from a young age, I gravitated toward guys who were just broken. Because it was like, if I can put myself on the line to help you in some way, it made me feel better about Hmm. myself. Yeah. And it helped me to push down all of the broken pieces within me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was... That was a big epiphany, you know, a sad epiphany to yeah. have. Yeah, and then so you break up with him, and did some of that kind of come back to the surface because you didn't have somebody to Absolutely. Fix? Yeah. yeah. And I think that happens with a lot of people. They try to find someone that is maybe a bit more of a mess than them because <laughs> it kind of yes. takes tracks from their own mess, and it's unfortunate. Why do we but, do that? Oh, we do it because we're dumb. <laughs> yep. Um. So, how did your life change after you left that um, relationship and, and started dating Kyle? Well, it's so it's kind of funny because I, of course, look back now with the hindsight and like the filter of Jesus's love. So mm-hmm. I see that every little thing fell into place, place the way it should have. But the reality was, moving to Colo- Colorado was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was just. You could tell I was drinking when I made the decision to just uproot my life and go somewhere um, away from my family and when I wasn't healthy myself. Mm -hmm. But then throw on top of that that the day after I moved in with him, his son came to stay for the entire summer. Mm. Um, So I say this with love, but I am not a kid person. Um, I'm an acceptable aunt, I'm, <laughs> and I'm really good with the elderly. Like that's yeah. some redemption, I guess. But when it comes to kids, I just I'm kind of a mess. I don't know what I'm doing, and I still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but sadly, as a stepmom, um, as any stepmom, you have a very physical reminder of the person you love's very physical past mm-hmm. with another person, yeah. and. For me and the place I was, it just bred all kinds of insecurity. Um, sure. That was rough. And the insecurities weren't the sweet little boy's fault at all, but I found myself needing a beer mid-afternoon when we'd go to the park just to shut my brain down. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it was, you know, well, it, it's just easier to justify, you know, a drink a little earlier or the fact that, when I have a beer, I'm nicer. I'm more fun. And, so, you know, the lies we tell ourselves. Yeah. But booze very quickly became a self-care mm. item, which is sad to admit. But um, it just turned into needing more or a cocktail or a stronger cocktail. Yeah. And then it pretty quickly morphed into full-blown, like, hiding bottles um, and then recognizing when I finally came up for air and tried to get sober that I couldn't hide the symptoms of detox anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I was getting sick brushing my teeth in the morning um, before work, um, so I drank a little bit that early mm-hmm. just to keep the, the symptoms at bay. It wasn't yeah. as if I was getting intoxicated. It was literally just to stave off the symptoms. Mm-hmm. But then when you start doing that, then you need it midday. You need it throughout the day just to be able to work um Mm -hmm. and then I needed it to sleep at night so um keep in mind that with Kyle's story um his mom he was raised um by just his mom and 
she battled alcoholism his entire life. Um, so around the same time in October of 2014, we got a call that she'd been pulled over for another DUI. Um, which this one, because she'd had multiple in the past, it meant prison time. So in the county jail in Missouri, she, you know, with all the, the shame and the, I'm sure the weight of the world on her shoulders, she took her own life. Um, and I just remember the night we got that call, I remember holding Kyle's head in my lap and just feeling so hopeless recognizing that my first instinct as I was holding his head and trying to comfort him was to find one of the bottles I had started hiding. Um, I wish I could say this was a wake-up call for me, but unfortunately I just sunk deeper into it through the following few months. And then we were facing Christmas break before we knew it, which meant that Kyle's son came out again and I just ran. I disappeared for a while. I stayed, at a, I stayed at a co-workers where I could drink and be around people who made me feel like I wasn't so bad, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is heartbreaking. But I, um, I finally did resurface. I came home and Kyle told me he couldn't worry about me while taking care of his son and trying to grieve the loss of his mom. Yeah. Um, so he needed time. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that I was going back to Kansas City to spend some time with my family over the holidays and to give him some time and space. Sure. Yeah, what happened when you returned to Kansas? Well, I say this is where it gets good because it's fun (laughs) looking (laughs) back, but I uh, woke up that first morning in the house that I was raised into a full-blown intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Despite um, everything Kyle was going through and facing on his own, He loved me so well that even in the storm of his life, he'd been in communication with my sister and had told her that I was hiding alcohol at this point, that um, I was disappearing and I wasn't physically okay. Hmm. So my parents, my siblings, my nephew, my um, boyfriend at the time on speakerphone were telling me they loved me, but that I had a problem, (laughs) just like the TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's funny... um, I guess, you know, now that I've talked to him about it, they expected me at that moment to blow up and just kind of run away. Huh. But I had tried to get sober on my own so many times and failed yeah. that I knew I had a problem. Hmm. Um, so even on the flight from Kansas City to, or from Colorado to Kansas City, I took a couple out of van, they're like same family of Xanax, um, instead of ordering a drink because I remember consciously thinking, I'm going to lose him. I love this man. Mm. Um, So I'm going to try again to stay sober. So when they approached me, I told him, I was like, no, I have a problem. So I agreed to go to the hospital, have my blood drawn, and I met with an addiction counselor um, who referred me to an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program. Mm -hmm. Um, So I attended that for 14 whole days (laughs) before people on Facebook Mm -hmm. and Instagram realized that I was home and started asking the questions of, oh, are things not okay with you and Kyle? Did, you know, things must have really hmm. failed out there. So facing all of that shame again, I relapsed hmm. um, on a pretty high volume of liquor and a handful of pills. Um, I say that I don't know at that moment if I was trying to take my life um, because I was so intoxicated, but I feel like with my knowledge 
of you know doing medical social work I dealt with psychopharmacology a lot I knew mm-hmm. what I was taking I just I, I know that um, it was Jesus who saved me and woke me up at my sister's house and got me through the worst detox of my life mm-hmm. while I was surrounded by my sister's family of toddlers oh. <laughs> um, and granted a while back uh, Jesus had pulled my sister out of some pretty trying circumstances of her mm-hmm. own um, and despite the fact that we weren't raised as believers, she had she's a diehard believer. Um, the rest of us always kind of joke that she and her family like drank the Kool Aid <laughs> and um, you know changed so much. Yeah. But um, we just figured, you know, what whatever made them happy. Uh huh. So I was um, at the time I was so sick, um, you know, filled with resentment, and my detox symptoms were so bad that now I understand. It was spiritual warfare over mm-hmm. my body and sure. my life. Um, but I was forced to attend church every Sunday because I couldn't be left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't mess around. So they attended one service. They greeted for another <laughs> and taught Sunday school for a third. Um, the class they taught was called Starting Point by Andy Stanley. And I know uh, there are just no coincidences in the kingdom. Yeah. But the church Kyle and I attended on Christmas and Easter in Littleton started the same class the very same week. Hmm. So Kyle started going to that. Um, But the class is just what it says it is. It's just a starting point for people who don't quite know what to think about Jesus or the church or religion um, or spirituality at all. So I was really, really trying at this point. I was so broken um, that, gosh, I... I really opened my heart to any possibility of the, you know, Jesus loving me or that he could bring hope to my hopeless situation. Um, but as I was living with my sister, she encouraged me to take something called a shape assessment, Mm -hmm. which is a test for your spiritual gifts. Um, I think shape, shape stands for spiritual gifting, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. So it's all encompassing. Mm -hmm. And I, take this, um, even though I had no relationship with Jesus at the time, I take this and answer every question really honestly, and it still came out telling me that I was gifted with encouragement, mercy, and hospitality. Hmm. Um, And this was just a hugely pivotal moment. Yeah, talk about that. So, I guess, um, I... At this moment, I began to realize that despite all of the brokenness, that God had created me on purpose mm-hmm. and that he had work to do through me um, and that his purpose and the work that he had for me to do, it hadn't changed despite the decisions I'd made, mm-hmm. um, my mistakes, the poor choices. And it was almost as if he was shrugging his shoulders and saying, so what? <laughs> like, sweet girl, I was with yeah. you then. I'm with you now, so let's just pick up and go. <laughs> like, no no day but today. And I began to realize for the first time um, that I had nothing to offer, and I had nothing that I needed to trade to hmm. be in his love. And, gosh, that nothing I could do or mistake I made would separate me from that love. Yeah. And that was hard for me to wrap my head around, that... Hmm. I didn't have to bring anything to the table. It was just there for me. Yeah, that's so good. So, so you take this test and your perception about yourself and about the Lord begins to shift. Mm -hmm. Um, What, what did that journey look like from there? 
Oh, man. Um, so I guess that the thing that makes me happiest to remember is that I remember having to make a conscious decision. Like, I'm not... If this is the case, I'm going to believe it wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. which means that tomorrow can't be the same as today. Yeah. So I looked at what I had, which was at the time attending like occasionally three AA meetings a day. Um, that was my life. I was just in recovery and counseling. So I looked at what I had and made a conscious decision that I'm going to take these gifts that God says I have, that he's placed within me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take them where I'm assigned. Yeah. So I started taking them into um, AA meetings, and I remember it came up at, at first as um, thanking, like writing handwritten notes to people who would speak and say something, you know, just heart-wrenching, um, that they'd lost their ability to see their kids or that they had 15 years and they relapsed. And I would just write a note saying, thank you so much for mm-hmm. sharing for somebody who can't get more than 10 days strung together right now. Thank you. Oh. Like, I I appreciate it. And um, I realized pretty quickly that was the encouragement. And then mercy, gosh, I just remember um, the way my heart would break mm-hmm. when I'd hear those things mm-hmm. and recognizing, oh, my word, that that is my mercy. Like, yeah. So it was super cool um, to see... Uh, that transformation, because in that time, I um, it was Valentine's Day, 2015, and Kyle came to Kansas City. Um, he flew in and sat with me through an AA meeting where I got my first 30-day sober chip, <laughs> and um, he cooked me dinner afterward, and he proposed. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, in the storm of my life. Um, but so I said yes, and then I said no. And then I said yes again. <laughs> but I just could not get my head wrapped around the fact that this man was loved me. That mm-hmm. he was pledging his life to me, his heart to mine, during the biggest mess that I could get into. But I, I truly don't think I ever will understand that. Yeah, That was Jesus' love for sure. But uh, I moved back to Colorado against my family's wishes. Um, and I guess kind of the logic behind that was that we... I could continue to stay sober living in my sister's basement without a car and without a job and without any life. Like, it, it's what worked for me. Um, and I can't make a broad statement on recovery because everyone is different. Sure. But we yeah. did make the bold decision for me to move back to Colorado, and my family was worried. Um, but I, I needed to break out of the bubble of not having any temptation. Yeah. So, unfortunately... I did relapse. Hmm. Um, I was scared. I felt pretty worthless having lost my job, knowing, um, you know, a lot of our friends in Colorado knew what was going on Hmm. with me and were telling Kyle to get out. Like, Hmm. bail, man. You don't need to be caught up in her mess. Um, So shame and guilt again hit pretty hard. (laughs) No, that was awful. Oh, my word. But I found myself running to kind of my old digs. Like, that's how I numbed was just to pull the bottle out again. Until um, one night, Kyle came home um, from, like, an Al-Anon meeting or from church, um, but he found me intoxicated. Um, And I remember him saying, I know I can't keep you sober, but what I can do is love you and pray for you. Mm -hmm. And he hit his knees at the foot of our bed, and he just began silently praying. Wow. Yeah. I just made goosebumps. <laughs> oh my gosh, it just my heart grows. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. 
what happened, what was that moment like for you um to see him go to that place the miracle i mean it truly is it's miraculous that despite being intoxicated at that time i do remember vividly just the powerlessness of seeing that there's this man who obviously loves me so much that he's still like he's loving me in the best way he can and that's by praying for me right now which I know this man not to be a prayer mm-hmm. you know this isn't mm-hmm. something that we have you know been practicing yes yeah. and um but I, re- I vividly remember joining him at the foot of the bed and just silently imploring God for a miracle like if you are there like I know I've messed up again mm-hmm. but it was just this giant combination of desperation fear surrender and disbelief that despite everything that I had done, everything Kyle had been through, that he was still praying for me. Like, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So did that prayer for a miracle, was it answered? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, there's no other way than it be a miracle. That was March 10th. Um, and the following day, I asked Kyle to take my keys, my cards, and my cash so I uh-huh. could properly detox um, without any ability to get alcohol. Uh-huh. Um, so I did, and come to find out, there were miracles already in the, in works. Aren't there always? <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh, yes. It makes me so, it just Amazing. makes me teary to think about yeah. it. But two days before that, Kyle had um, given his life to Jesus in church, and yeah. I didn't know. Um, and then somehow... We were baptized together on March 29th, so uh-huh. 19 days after that day. But still, to this day, March 10th, 2015, is the last time I drank. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> so awesome. God hears our prayers. Oh, amen. And I love just hearing your story, how I can see God's working. And even just the timing, like the timing of you going back to Kansas City and the intervention when you were ready for it. You know, <laughs> yes. like just the whole journey God was preparing the way as you look back, you know, at your story. You do. You just see him. And that's something Kyle and I kind of marvel about because it's the same with him through his childhood. You know, it was, you look back and you see he was constantly there. Yeah. He always is. Yes. Even when we can't see him. Yeah. Yeah. To recap, Molly faced sexual abuse at a young age and learned that sex was a way to have some control and it really played a big part in her life early on. Um, It created a lot of shame and a lack of self-worth in her life and so she turned to alcoholism um, for many years in her adult life. But um, God had a different plan for her and we're going to hear where she is today. So what's life like for you guys today? Oh my word. Um, <laughs> so it's too funny, but we, um, so Kyle <laughs> made the decision to stop drinking right along with me. Mm-hmm. So we unfortunately kind of had to shed the skin of some of those friendships that didn't support us. Yeah, sure. Um, 
but we started immediately volunteering with the youth ministry at our church after yeah. we got sober and um god provided a new community there um and then i charged into stepmotherhood that first summer oh shoot sorry i just realized you asked me how life is now and i'm going back it's okay, okay. <laughs> you can do that you can say whatever all right. it all makes sense um um, I, I, that's, that summer after we got sober, I really charged into stepmotherhood 100%, like really embraced that, the beauty of that role, um, mm-hmm. and the opportunity that it provides, um, with just a renewed passion and gratitude, like a new lease on life. And, yeah. <clears throat> um, we moved our wedding date up at that point by a year because we felt convicted about living together. Yeah. Um, and again, you just see when... You begin listening to his voice. He's like, I've got better plans for you still. Like, just mm-hmm. follow me. Yeah. So we moved our wedding date up, um, and we were able to get married October 9th, 2015. And then, um, gosh, despite conversations about not having children and um, despite taking precautions to prevent pregnancy, <laughs> we were blessed with a baby boy in the end of June last year. (laughs) Um, And so now it's hilarious. I write for the Denver Metro Moms blog, which is comical considering I am not a kid person. (laughs) Or, you know, it's just interesting how God's like, oh, I'm going to turn this around for you too. Um, But I'm writing in general a lot more, which is just something that's been a byproduct of following Jesus. And, um, And then even now it's funny, I'm thinking about what life looks like for me now like right now so my stepson and my 11 month old boy are at a girlfriend's house she's watching them and it's a woman that I I love so dearly and she's been coming to church with us her and her fiance which is just makes me teary um because I recognize I would never have met her had we not walked this path Mm. um and I wouldn't have the opportunity to encourage them to come to church with us because we have a church community that we are so in love with. Yeah. Um, and then within that, um, the church community that I'm blessed to belong to, I am like knee deep in love with the mothers of preschool ministry, <laughs> Mops, <laughs> which yeah. is so funny. <laughs> but next year, um, I'm blessed to be in charge of promotions for the steering team and just following this through. Like yeah. God is... He's made me um, a wife and a mom, a stepmom, um, one who's surrounded constantly by just women and community that sharpens me. But I've just, the best title I've gained through all of this is just being a beloved daughter to the mm. king. That's beautiful. <laughs> and you are. Yeah. And that's probably something you never would have said about yourself. Golly, no. You know, growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no way. I didn't think I had a chance. Right. <laughs> So if there was one thing you could leave the audience with today, what would that be? Gosh. It's the million-dollar question at the end of every show. I know. And it's like my heart has two things that... Share both. Are you sure? Yeah, go (laughs) for it. (laughs) Well, one, I guess, is very... It's more logical. It's that I really... Anybody who's listening to this, um, my hope is that everybody can step back and think of their perception... um, and their relationship with sexuality. Mm. Um, Because bottom line, it's one of the biggest gifts that God has given us Mm -hmm. is intimacy. 
but only when it's approached in the way that it's, he designed it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, our society and the world and the enemy have robbed us of its potential, but mm-hmm. it, I, it's never too late. Yeah. Um, whether it's your struggles, pornography, or um, you've experienced sexual abuse, um, or you feel like you've lost your purity, God, he wants you to reclaim it yeah. um, in the way he designed it. And then, I mean, I guess... My side note would be to parents that start talking to your children now about sex, their bodies, um, purity, and God's design for marriage, because if we avoid those hard conversations, we're just contributing to the problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, the world starts talking about it at such a young age. Yes. And then just from the spiritual standpoint, this is what I feel like God laid on my heart big time to say is that the fear of the unknown can be really beautiful when you're when you find yourself just kind of dragging through life on your own understanding hmm. um, and so when the skies are darker you f- you feel like there is no hope um, yeah. your only requirement is surrender yeah. and why wouldn't we let go of pain and hopelessness when we get eternity set in our hearts in exchange wow so good so good mm. Molly, I have loved being able to hear your story today and share it with the audience. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. to peek into the story of a person who went through a difficult situation, one many might relate to. If you do, and even if you don't know what that situation is like, but you can relate to some of the feelings Molly experienced, be encouraged to know that your story doesn't end with the difficult situation. It's a scene in your story, but it's not the end of your story. Thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is something that is ministering to you, or you think others might find interesting, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps to get the word out to people who might need to hear the story of redemption. I am actually having a baby before the next episode comes out, hence being out of breath a little bit, but I will have another show up again in two weeks. So tune in to hear another powerful story of redemption. In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, stalk me on social media and see really cute pictures of my little baby boy and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrest.com. See you next time.